Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. We're excited to be in our fourth year. This has been a labor of love that now needs your support. We urge you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, or make a donation so we may continue to inspire women to age with purpose, resilience, and self-care. Visit womenover70.com and join today. And today we're delighted to, to welcome Anne White, age 80, who lives in Oak Park, Illinois. Anne is proud to be known as a green elder. She believes this role involves, and I quote, doing everything we can to make a better world for our children and grandchildren. The birth of Anne's daughter in 1969 sparked her commitment to social justice with a passion for peace and the environment. Over the years, Anne has protested to end the Vietnam War and other wars, nuclear threat, and homelessness. Beginning in the early 1990s, Anne cultivated her expertise as executive director for several leadership programs in Washington, D.C., as director of development and communications for the Akokik Foundation and for the U.S. Office of Friends of the Earth. Since retiring in 2007, Anne has been a full-time climate activist involved in efforts such as serving as leader of the Green Team at her faith congregation, organizing to pass the Illinois Clean Energy Jobs Act, serving on the Board of Faith and Place, and engaging in the Unitarian Universalist Action Network of Illinois. Anne's goal is, in her words, to speak on behalf of species, turtles, birds, and trees that have no voice. So welcome, Anne. We're so happy to have you with us today. Glad to see you. Glad to hear you, Catherine. Thank you, and Gail. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. So, Anne, you have such a you know a full, rich history of social activism. So, just give us a, a glimpse into who influenced this, and and in what ways. Well, I have to say that the very first uh, image that comes to mind to that question, Catherine, is my father. My father was very active politically in Tennessee politics. I'm from the South originally. And from a very early age, I think as a toddler, I recall him organizing people in our living room to do to take some action of one sort or the other. And he would take my sisters and me when we were older to do door knocking and hand out brochures. And, and he didn't know there wasn't a politician. I don't think my dad didn't know. <laughs> so that was that that was the source of activism, I, I believe, as a role model. And then as I grew older in high school, in, in elementary school, then high school, I started reading nature writers. Uh, I was in love with, of course, Emerson and Thoreau and like most young people. And then it was when Al Gore wrote his book, Earth in Balance, that really uh, piqued my interest in the environmental movement and then on when he wrote uh, Inconvenient Truth. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that, and, and I, other than my dad, other people I don't, I really don't know, but one person that I really w was influenced with was a man named Wilton Corcoran, who I worked with at the Akakeek Foundation. And Wilton had this infectious love of nature. And we would take long walks and I would just learn lots of lessons about nature from him. So those are people that have that have influenced me and that have stayed with me one way or the other. And that's recently Bill McKibben, who was the founder of 350.org, and now has just started a group called The Third Act, 
for those of us in our third act, those of us who are over 65, which is a fabulous idea, I think. So that's that's a quick answer to your question. So t um, tell us a little bit about the Akakik Foundation. What, what are they? Well, the Akakik Foundation is it, it, its purpose is to provide is to educate others about the cultural and natural landscape of the Piscataway people. Mm -hmm. uh, in Pas Piscataway Park, it's actually one of the national parks. It's in it's in based in southern Maryland, uh, south of Washington D.C., off Bryan Point Road. And if you're at the foundation, you look over at Mount Vernon, historic Mount Vernon. But if you're at historic Mount Vernon and stand on the piazza, you overlook this magnificent green landscape. And that is part of the purpose of the foundation is to protect that landscape as mm. it was when George and Martha lived there. Uh -huh. And it is just the most fabulous place for, for people, for students to go, for adults to go. And I, it's right on the Potomac River, and I dearly love that place. <laughs> Sounds really wonderful. And um, just for our, our listeners, the third act, what is, what is that about? The third act is something that Bill McKibben and others have formed to, to harness the energy, the resources, the time, and effort of those of us who are uh, 65 and over. I think it started about two years ago. And uh, it's the third act, meaning the last phase of our life. And the intent is to, there are a number of programs, projects that they have, but the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart is the uh, ongoing advocacy against the fossil fuel industry, mm -hmm. particularly through finance and divestment and protecting our democracy. We all know that if we don't protect our democracy, we are in really deep trouble as we've just experienced. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's intended to harness the 70 million people who are in their third act in this country. And if you can mm -hmm. imagine organizing all of us, Wow, that is a force to be reckoned with. And it's intergenerational, but it's it's really to focus on those of us who who uh either who vote. We vote. Our our cohort votes. So we are if we're organized together, we are a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. Love the message, Anne. Yeah. Um, so you, you've obviously been involved in environmental issues since the early 80s, but at what point do you think did you because I've heard you say this, that you fell in love with nature. When when was that? Oh, I, I'm sure I was when I was a child. Uh, I spent summers on my grandparents' North Georgia farm. And you can imagine there's not much to do on a North Georgia farm in those days. And I would take books from the library from Memphis, and I would pack them up, take the bus, go to my grandparents. And there just was nothing to do. And I found that, that the... Uh, bugs, the snakes, the grasshoppers, they really became friends of mine. I just it, I just relished watching them and and observing them and and picking peaches from peach trees and looking at the bark of trees. I was just very intrigued with nature itself. And partly because I was most often alone and I they were my kins, they were my playmates, I guess. Mm -hmm. And while other People hated to look at snakes. I just was fascinated by them. Uh, I found out later in life that that's the that was a similar experience from the late E.O. Wilson, who's a well-known um, uh, 
ethnobotanists who study mm. ants in the same way. So it was it 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 stems from there, and it's just carried out, carried throughout. I say, and I've lived in an urban area, but I've always been fascinated by trees, and I've always been fascinated by how something magical, a little a little bit of green life, can grow through concrete. Mm-hmm. Struck by the pure evolution of our of the species of all species, and how beautiful nature is. I mean, to look close at a flower or to spend time talking to a grasshopper, which I do and have done, it's just magical. It's just, it's like, what's not to love about nature? It's like a so friend. It's, it's like a, a friend. And you're saying that we have friends here in the, in, in the urban environments as well. We don't, we don't have to sure. go to a farm. I garden in a, in a space, uh, Catherine, mm-hmm. that's surrounded by concrete. I mean, it's this little jewel of a land. And I was there not too long ago. It was warm in November. And this grasshopper hopped on my knee. Now, you know, here we are surrounded by concrete and that little grasshopper and I had a wonderful conversation. I actually called him Green Dude and talked to him and he turned around and looked at me and stayed there for the longest period of time. Now we're surrounded by concrete and yet a human can have that kind of conversation with another species. Now, I'm, of course, using my imagination a bit, but I, uh, yes, we can. They're, so they're I, I, across my table and I talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Oh, 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 I feel like a, a monster. Oh, um, where, where, Anne, where do you garden? I, I garden at, it's behind, uh, it's a well-known ca- a cafe here in Oak Park called the Buzz Cafe on Harrison Street. Uh-huh. And uh, the wonderful Laura Maycrock and her husband have loaned us the land behind the Buzz for us to do a small urban garden, which we have, we call ourselves the squash blossoms and we have gardened there for 16 years. Oh my. And we've restored, rejuvenated the soil. Uh, We grow in a biodynamic method. Uh, We're pure uh, organic, uh, non-GMO, no pesticides. And it's just this lovely jewel of a, of a land that we hold in stewardship. Thanks to Laura and, and uh, Andrew. And and what do you do with what you grow? Well, there there are five of us in the group, and we share among ourselves. Uh, the one the one of our friends, a woman who uh, who owns the Happy Apple Pie Shop across the street, she comes and gathers some of the herbs. The Buzz uses some of the herbs for their their. Uh, purposes and we give food away there are people that come it's a very active alley so people come by and we just say hey would you like would you like the food and there are people there other uh, vendors in the buildings so we let them uh, harvest the food when they wish to so that's, we sh- we openly share it that's interesting yeah that's it great is. yes i've been going to the bus cafe for years and i never knew about this until i met Anne. So, <laughs> so it's going to be my new getaway place. Um, so, Anne, I'm just so you didn't become an ethnobotanist, but you did become um, you had some high level leadership positions, executive director, director of development. How did you get into that line of work? Oh, <laughs> it's it's partly the network. It's knowing, you know, how who, who you know, and it's putting yourself out there, applying for positions and whatever. Mostly it was network uh, and being asked, like when I was at the Acrokeek Foundation, I was actually asked 
to do, design a program that became Leadership Potomac. It is no more, but at the time it was a blend of, of ecology and best practices of leadership. And we used the Potomac River, all the geomorphological zones of the Potomac River as classroom and nature. And I learned a lot about classroom and nature from the Akakik Foundation. So uh, I, uh, when I did a consulting, when I actually began a consulting practice, I insisted that all the, the clients meet in a place in nature because nature has such a profound effect on relationships. So uh, that's, that's how it happened. Uh, especially in DC, you're constantly working on your network and on your resume. Mm -hmm. so, um, and then, did that answer your question? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Thank you. And then you retired, so-called retired, in two thousand seven, and you've been a full-time climate activist. So tell us more about what what you've been involved in, and especially in the last several years. What's when, what's when I really... love Friends of the Earth, which is an international organization. I work for the U.S. office. Uh, at that time, my daughter gave birth to my granddaughter, uh, my only daughter, and her only daughter. And I had, I we Laura asked, said, why don't you come out here? And of course, as a Southerner, people said, you'll never make it through a Chicago winter. So I came out with the pure focus of whatever I would be involved in other than Laura and Maxie's life would be green. And we became very active quickly at the Unity Temple Unitarian Church here in Oak Park. And I'll, very quickly, I became chair of the Green Sanctuary team, the green team and led them through divestment of their, their the divestment from fossil fuels of their investment policy. And then went from there to uh, be on the board of Faith in Place, which is a statewide, actually it's it's more than statewide now, but it's mainly an organization that provide that's faith-based about people who care for uh, the, the uh, uh, people who are vulnerable and for the environment. So I, be, I just began to be very involved in those things, uh, then began to get involved in the in the plastic, uh, protesting plastic, and was one of the speakers uh, to advocate the tax on plastic here in Illinois in Oak Park, and it just goes on from there. Uh, and you ever say no? Of course, the 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 uh, faith in place was very key to getting mm -hmm. uh, launching the early work for what became CJA. Uh, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, mm -hmm. and I've spent a years on that, you know, uh, getting people on buses, uh, leading the protest effort, the writing effort, and all that, and so many people were involved in that. It's just a wonderful story of when environmental organizations gather together with one purpose, the power of what can happen, and I'm very happy. Of course, it has to be implemented, and now's the time to bird dog the implementation design, but uh, it, that's a huge victory. So it was always green. Everything after that, Catherine, was green. If it wasn't green, green I didn't do it. That's <laughs> what makes you a green elder. I'm a, and they call me the green goddess or the green elder. <laughs> oh, even better, the green goddess. Yes. Um, you know, I really liked what you said about that your goal is to speak on behalf of species, the turtles, the birds, the trees that have no voice. And I, you, you've, you've talked about that already, but is there anything else you, you'd want to say about that? No, actually, when I've spoken before public hearings, be it the EPA for regulatory comments on regulation, 
when I spoke to the Oak Park Village uh, uh, trustees about the plastic. I've given sermons at Unity Temple. I, I really aim to speak from that species because if you imagine all these trees with plastic bags flying on them trapped mm -hmm. or uh, a turtle with plastic bags in its gullet or uh, a great blue heron with a plastic, a, a, a six pack, plastic six pack mm -hmm. wrapped around its neck. They can't do anything about that. That's our job. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I feel a deep, deep moral responsibility to speak on behalf of trees. I actually uh, had a had a cease and desist on a construction project in Maryland because I spoke for the trees. And when I spoke at the commission, the Maryland commission, they looked at me like I had I was crazy. And, and I they leaned over your what? And I steadfastly spoke on behalf of the trees and caught, stopped the construction project for some time. And it was it was uh, it was threatening to a lot of people. And I just did it because the trees had a right to live. And those trees are still there. And the construction project is there. So you can you can do both. You know, when I met you recently at um, a legacy writing workshop, actually, I'm going to say taught by Margaret Burke, who was um, yes. one of our advocate for women aging. She's on our podcast. Um, and you, you, you've decided to write your story, one of your stories, um, from the perspective of trees. Right. And you, and I got, I was able to, I was fortunate to listen to your stick story. So could, could you share some of that? Yes. I was uh, with two other friends. We were taking a building urban gardens uh, class at the Garfield Conservatory. And there was an opportunity to, there was an auction on items. And everyone was taking the book, the guard, beautiful garden books in the basket and all the other, you know, nice things. And there was this little stick in a pot. And it was a tree, of course. And I said, I want the stick. So I took this little two foot stick home on the L, brought it to my uh, backyard, back to my to condo, put it on the back porch, talked to it every day throughout the winter, and then planted it in our squash blossom garden. And today that little stick is over 20 feet tall. Wow. It's a beautiful, beautiful pawpaw tree and it graces the garden. And uh, it's something, it's, it's, a, it's a species that I dearly love. And it, it just makes me smile and it brings such happiness to all the people who, uh, who walk past it. So that's the story of stick to pawpaw tree. And some of us, including myself, until I listen to your story, don't know what a pawpaw tree is. <laughs> oh, a pawpaw tree. I am so in love with the pawpaw tree. In fact, as we're speaking, I have 10 pawpaw seeds from the fruit that fell from that particular mm. pawpaw tree. Uh, on a winter nap, otherwise co otherwise called cold striation in my refrigerator, and come April, if the if the embryo appears, then I will be growing pawpaw trees. Uh, but the uh, pawpaw is native to this country, as far as we know. It's been here millions of years. It was a main source of the First Nation people, and it provide it, it's an understory tree and provides what looks it's like tropical fruit it's the largest tropical fruit in the country mm -hmm. and um it grows here in illinois 
So <laughs> it's it's mid-Atlantic tree. So it's it, there's so many parts, so many symbols of the pawpaw tree that I dearly love, and um, that that's what I'm doing is growing pawpaw seeds. So wish me luck. <laughs> I do <Good> luck. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, so, we, and go ahead, Agil. No, I, I was just I, I how you told us how you got into this, uh, who you were influenced by, and and that's wonderful. And and I can tell from listening to you that you're you're just totally immersed in this lifestyle that you're living, which encompasses all of these species, and. And so I, I'm just wondering where where do you see this going for our our uh, for the environment in total and and uh, what are what's what's going to happen governmentally? Well, you could you could look at that with a glass half empty, uh, particularly with the uh, there's a current story in the Washington Post about how greenwashing the uh, energy businesses are doing so the need to be vigilant very vigilant against uh fossil fuel is absolutely critical to the future of this earth and that comes in many many ways from plastic to uh, cars to lights to everything to just mm -hmm. about everything so that's that is the challenge to me but the and as well as protecting democracy so you could look at it and say, oh, my goodness, how in the world can one person fight that? And it is possible to do that uh, if you are one person with two people and three people. And that's the power, I think, of the third act with 70 million seniors like myself and the two of you, if we were we, we were a force to be reckoned with. So but the glass half full. The other part is that if people love this earth. Uh, my my premise, my uh, anchor is if you, you protect what you love, and if we love trees and we love nature, we love gardens, we'll protect it. And there are millions and millions of people who do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and our young people around the world, I mean, they're asked to do something they should not have been asked to do. And I'm not going to say we in our lifetime bear that responsibility, but it's on our watch. We love our comfort. We love our, our our creature comforts. And we love lots of light and lots of stuff. And that has come at a price. And it's come at a price for them. It's coming at a price for us, but it's particularly coming for a at a price for the younger next generation. So I think about my granddaughter and my other grandchildren and my the species of all children, not just humans, but the children of all species. And if we love them, then we protect them and we protect them by doing small and lots of small things. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can be a lot of small things. And for me, I think planting a tree is one of the most important things a, a person can do right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that answered your full question. I mean, it's a long, you could really get into a long debate about. No, I, it's, it definitely did. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, I wanted to hear from you how you're thinking about, you know, I, I love the glass half full uh, approach. And yes, there's so much that we can all do. Yeah, I mean, as simple as, as growing our own vegetables, it doesn't have to be a, a squash blossom garden. 
It can just be growing a few tomatoes, uh, you know, or herbs in a windowsill, something that bring, brings pleasure. And um, uh, that's, so it's, there's something for everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I'm involved in the political because to me, politics is where it happens, policy. But, uh, and I will continue to do, to do that. But at the same time, I, I want to plant trees to honor my, my, my granddaughter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. You, know, you, have a, you have a bumper sticker on your car. Yes. What does it and say? That, you know, that's 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 how I sum up my life at this point because I'm 80 and I'm in my third act and who knows whether I have a day or a decade or whatever to live. But as a green elder and as a responsible person to as someone who loves my granddaughter dearly and all children, the bumper sticker it, it's we have a 17 my husband and I have a 17-year-old Prius. And my side of the car has this bumper sticker that says, one generation plants the tree, the next generation sits under it. Aww. And for me, that yeah. that's what I want to do. I, I want to be known um, as the generation who plants trees. Mm -hmm. And so my granddaughter and other children, including that grasshopper, can sit under it. <laughs> and I uh, recently I went to an event that was about trees and saving the trees and mm -hmm. and trees, especially in areas that are tend to be almost all cement. And there was a representative from Washington there who talked about taking being trained in how to communicate with trees. Do you communicate with trees? Oh, of course. <laughs> I talk to trees. My my web my uh, email is tree hugger. I mm -hmm. taught Maxie to tr hug trees when she was an almost an infant. But no, I talk to trees. I talk to I talk to the rabbit in the backyard is called Thumper. I talk to Thumper. All <laughs> robins are called Robbie. I talk to Robbie, uh, and I so I talk to trees. And I really feel there are times when it's it's just. I can hug a tree or be near a, a, this giant mulberry tree in our backyard that we call Henry. I, I can be near Henry and there there is just this complete connection that comes from the heart. Uh, it's not the conscience. It's not cerebral. It comes from the heart. And I believe in time. I don't know about that speaker, but I believe in time. I think we're going scientists are going to learn more and more that we are trees and the tree is us. That we are so totally interconnected because we've come through an evolutionary path where we were once all one. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there was this great separation. But I feel totally connected to trees. I tell my granddaughter that if you have a tree, a good book and one good friend, life is good. <laughs> and, like that. yeah, I just no, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. All I can say is it's it's it comes from a font of love. Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to love is a funny thing to describe and I will do whatever I can to protect what I love mm -hmm. and have, have done so but I'll do it continue mm -hmm. to do it mm -hmm. oh, um, I, I just have one before we close we like to ask our guests how do you think about your own aging process if it, if you think about it much 
Well, you know, uh, taking the course that we did with wonderful Margaret Burke, uh, Catherine, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to write my own stories to pass on to my daughter and granddaughter, as I think you and I will share that. And I'm writing the legacy of the garden from the from the garden's perspective, not my own <laughs> a, a path. But I've paused to think about how long it takes for a seed to germinate. And I've thought about that as I've, as I've, as I put the pawpaw seeds in for their winter nap, it will take them 120 days to, uh, to germinate. And from there, at least two years to, uh, to grow and produce uh, two to five years to produce fruit. So if you measure your life and then, you know, it's 11 years that it took us 11 years to have an adult tree. Mm-hmm. So I sort of measure my, my life in the process of, of how many trees can I plant? In that period of time, it's mm. it's a numerical way to plant to plan life. But no, I I, I think about how many can I plant in that length of time, mm-hmm. and then and then work with other people to do whatever I can on the mm-hmm. to fight mm-hmm. fossil fuel. It's just it's I I think my last my last act before I die will be to sign some. Uh, letter protest letter protesting something related to fossil fuel (laughs) but so there's the there's the political and public Mm -hmm. policy but there's the deeply personal Mm -hmm. how satisfying it is to hold a seed in your hand and know that that seed has everything it has its past it has its present it has its future and if we could just plant one little seed isn't that magical that's it's just to me very lovely things. So if I can do that with my life, whatever's left of it, I, I'll be very happy, be very content. I think you have a magical way of viewing the world. And thank you for sharing it with us. This is lovely. Yes. Lovely. And th- thank you so much. It's a very welcome perspective for sure. And listeners, at the beginning of the podcast, we urged you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts our monthly interactive programs, and we invite you to engage in these probing discussions and lend your voice to these important conversations about issues that matter to women aging. Visit womenover70.com to join.